I am Dr. Linda Hawes Clever from California Pacific Medical Center and Renew in San Francisco. You are listening to the first national radio channel created specifically for medical professionals, Reach MD XM 157. I enjoy it a great deal and listen to it every chance I get to. You're listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. It's been one of the most interesting unanswered questions in medicine. Why do we sleep? What happens when we sleep? Welcome to Innovations in Medicine. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. It turns out that it's not only humans who need their sleep. The birds and the bees need it too, even fruit flies. Researchers at the University of Wisconsin have been studying animals' needs for sleep, looking at everything from insects to hamsters to humans. And now a study in the journal Nature Neuroscience, the online version, provides more evidence about how critical sleep is to the brain. Here to explain these findings to us is Dr. Chiara Cirelli, an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. Her work aims to understand the function of sleep, to answer that great mystery that's plagued people for centuries, and to study the consequences of sleep loss. To do this, she uses a combination of different tools, from the genetics of fruit flies and mammals, to behavior studies and EEG and all kinds of things, and she's going to tell us about them. Welcome to the program, Dr. Cirelli. Thank you. So tell us first about the findings. What was the experiment, and what did you find in this latest study? We used rats, and we simply record them during their sleeping cycle and then when they were awake. And we measured using both molecular and electrophysiological assays how strong the synapses in their brain and specifically in the cerebral cortex were after sleep and after waking. The idea behind these experiments that we wanted to test was that when we are awake, even if we do not realize so, we always learn many different things. And the learning we always call a net increase in the synaptic strength in, in our brain, which is very good, of course, because it's the way we can be plastic and we can change our brain depending on the environment. But on the other hand, it comes with a very high price because synapses are extremely expensive energetically and they occupy a lot of space. If you strengthen your synapses, your synapses also will get much bigger. And in an adult brain, there is very little energy left that the brain can use. There is very little space that can be used. And therefore, our idea was that Yes, there is an increase in synaptic strength during waking, but the brain cannot afford to keep growing synapses every day, every time we learn. And sleep is the perfect time to downsize and downregulate these synapses. It's an energy question that the brain doesn't have enough energy to keep building these synapses? Mainly, it's a very fundamental function and it's a cellular function and is mainly an energetic function, simply due, this is well known, to the fact that not only the brain has a very high energy demand, but at least 70-80% of that demand really is due to synaptic activity. 
and therefore even a small increase in synaptic strength will increase uh, significantly the energy budget uh, of the brain. So while we're learning, in other words, when I'm sitting here listening to you, in fact, my synapses are being strengthened as I take in and store that information. But then I'm not sure I understand, during sleep, is it an energy conservation time or does something else happen to those synapses that have been strengthened during the day? Something else we think is an active process, meaning that during sleep, because of the slow waves that characterize the so-called non-rapid or non-REM phase of sleep, which occupies at least 70%, so most of the sleep cycle, because these low waves occur at a particular frequency, which is at one earth, and we know that this frequency is in vitro and in vivo very effective in producing synaptic depression, we think that the slow waves of sleep literally downsize depresses the, uh, all the synapses in, in the brain. We are not specifically thinking that uh, it's a very precise mechanism so that only those synapses that have been potentiated the day before will get depressed. Everybody will get depressed. And that's simply because we know that when, when we sleep, all the neurons in the cerebral cortex and in, in the thalamus and probably also in many other regions, are undergoing these slow oscillations at around one earth, and therefore there is no specificity from that standpoint. I mean, this will reveal how crude my understanding is of this, but if all these synaptic connections are being depressed at night, wouldn't we be losing information or forgetting the things we strengthen during the day? Well, we do, in fact. The hypothesis states that this depression is, of course, at the same extent in all synapses. So at, at the end of the day, if some synapses were stronger than others because they were the ones specifically activated during that learning day, at the end of the sleep period, they will still be the strongest among all synapses. So that the ratio and the proportion between synapses will be kept. It's just that everybody being down, the global, the overall synaptic strength will be back to the level that was at the beginning of the previous waking day. And that's to conserve energy to get the brain ready for another day of learning the next day? Exactly. So in that sense, sleep is very important for learning, but not so much because it's consolidating memories during sleep, but because it's allowing you the next day to learn new things. This is ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Dr. Chiara Cirelli from the University of Wisconsin about why we sleep and what happens. Now, I was going to ask you about that consolidation notion, because that's been around recently, that somehow things get locked in or consolidated, or that if I practice the piano at night or something and then get a good night's sleep, I'm going to remember that piece better the next morning, whatever it might be. But you're saying that that's not quite right based on your research. I'm not saying that. The evidence that sleep is important for memory consolidation is very strong and very good. We have known this for actually a century, but the first studies were not very well controlled. Over the last five, ten years, there have been very elegant and very good studies showing that improving that indeed is not a question of stress, is not a question of just of passage of time, it's really sleep that helps consolidating some forms of memories. So I think right now there is little doubt among sleep researchers that this is true. What we are debating is more the mechanism through which sleep could benefit memories. 
And some people think, and that's actually the most common idea, that that's through consolidation, through strengthening of synapses. So they actually think that sleep is doing exactly what waking has been done before, strengthen some synapses, and those synapses are still being strengthened during sleep. We think instead that the end result, the consolidation of the memory, comes out because during sleep there has been overall depression. And how do we get to a benefit in memory through overall depression? Well, the idea is that by depressing synapses, you increase the signal-to-noise ratio. Because when we learn, in most cases, you don't strengthen only exactly those circuits and those synapses that are rightly involved in, in the learning. As you know, we make a lot of mistakes before getting good in doing something. And all these mistakes are associated with strengthening of the wrong synapses, of the wrong circuits. So there is a lot of noise that you add to the circuit when you are learning. Of course, the noise usually is associated with much less strength in synapses than the real signal. So these synapses are much quicker than the one really associated with the signal. Well, I could use the, the piano example. If you're learning to play a piece, you're going to make different kinds of mistakes and play a collection of wrong notes, but you're going to play the right notes more often than the wrong notes. All the synapses associated with all the notes will be depressed, but the white ones, of course, will be the ones that will, get, will remain the strongest. And, therefore, and while the, the wrong one will all be probably deleted, and that's why when you, you wake up, you are much better. Now, this, this idea has also one advantage that perhaps could explain why it is now clear not only that sleep benefits memories, but it's also clear that not all tasks are sensitive to sleep. There are some kind of tasks, both for procedural or declarative memories, that seem really to be benefit already enough during waking, for which there is no need for sleep. What would be an example of one or two of those? Well, there are many tasks of, you know, rotational learning or learning when you are in front of a screen with the cursor to follow a mirror image in the screen that you can get very, very good in doing that already after waking. And you can improve during waking without the need for a nap afterwards. There are other tasks that instead are also very similar in which you are, without consciously realizing so, you need to move your cursor to correct for a change in direction in the task that you are doing. And those tasks are much more sensitive to sleep. Now, some people have suggested that perhaps that's the reason. All the tasks in which there is implicit or explicit knowledge of what you are doing might have different sensitivity to sleep. We think, in fact, that the reason why some tasks are sensitive and others are not is instead that in some tasks, it's easier, it's more common to have a lot of noise associated with learning that task. And those will be the ones that would benefit from this depression 
during sleep. Well, that's all the time we have. I'm going to go home and go to bed early tonight, I promise. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Chiara Cirelli from the University of Wisconsin about sleep. It's important for all sorts of creatures, even physicians and nurses. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Cirelli. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. For comments and questions, visit us online at reachmd.com, where you can hear our shows, download podcasts, look at program guides, have all kinds of fun. Thanks for listening. Hope to talk to you again real soon. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell. Join me on the next Business of Medicine. My guest will be Peter Lukash, a blogger for allbusiness.com, and we'll be talking about what strategies we should be using to protect our cash during the upcoming recession. This is Susan Dolan. Join me this week when my guest will be award-winning comedian Robert Schimmel discussing his new book, Cancer on $5 a Day, Chemo Not Included, How Humor Got Me Through the Toughest Journey of My Life. And I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. Join me this week, and I'll be speaking with Dr. David Morens. We're going to be talking about dengue fever and its potential threat to the United States. Listen all month to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For our complete weekly guest and program guide, and to send us your comments, visit us at ReachMD.com.